you know, I, I, I just wonder how much the president is, is benefiting by the media constantly crying wolf. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. It is the Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That is 877-973-7425. I, I, I have gotten a couple of emails from people saying they have tried to call in and they can't figure it out. It's because I got a C and a K in my name. Maybe I should have thought of that. Um, but no, that's how I spell my name, E-R-I-C-K. So it's 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, we are broadcasting from the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic Ocean. And we have some new news uh, that has ha- come out in the last little while. Uh, here it is uh, 7 after the hour. It is 9.07 where I am in Macon broadcasting. And we've got record uh, unemployment. Uh, Record employment. Unemployment is at a 50-year low, a 50-year low, uh, record 158,269,000 Americans working. This from CNS News, the work week is ending with good news for President Trump as more records were smashed in Friday's report on September unemployment. For the 22nd time since Donald Trump took office, the number of employed Americans reached a record high last month, climbing 319,000 from August's record of 157 million people working, now 158 million people working. At the same time, the number of unemployed Americans set a Trump-era low at 5,769,000. But wait, you say, but wait. How can this be? We have 158 million working, 5.7 million not working, but we have 350 million Americans. Well... You're counting the uh, retired and the children uh, in the total population. This is of working Americans, people within the workforce. Though, you, so you got to remember how this is calculated. We went over this in the Obama era as well, um, that there are people who are considered in the workforce. And when you're in the workforce, you are people on unemployment regularly searching for a job and you're people who have a job. There are people who fall out of the workforce. They give up, decide they're not going to work anymore. They're going to retire and they're taken out of the work pool. The labor force participation rate uh, is another issue. How many people can work versus how many actually do? Let me delve into the numbers here. The Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics says the economy added 136,000 jobs in September. Employment in healthcare and in professional and business services trended up. In September, the civilian non-institutional population in the United States was 259,638,000. That includes all people 16 and older who do not live in an institution like a prison, a nursing home, or a long-term care population, which essentially means we have 100 million people who do. Wow. Uh, well, not, I shouldn't say a hundred million people who do, uh, we've got maybe, well, yeah, I forget what the numbers are, but this does, does include people below 16. So people under 16 and people, uh, not in a prison, people in a prison, nursing home and long-term care don't count in the 259, uh, million of the civilian non-institutional population, 164 million were in the labor force, meaning they either had a job or were actively seeking one. 
that produced a labor force participation rate of 63.2%, the same as it was in August, a Trump-era high. The higher the number, the better. Of the 164 million people in the labor force, 5.7 million were unemployed, which puts it to an all-time low of 3.9. Now, here's the kicker. The unemployment rate for Hispanics has never been this low. Only 3.9% of Hispanic workers in America are unemployed. Among uh, black Americans, the record low of 5.5% in August is they're holding steady. 5.5% of black America is unemployed. Among the other major worker groups, the unemployment rate for whites is 3.2%. For adult men, it's 3.2%. For adult women, it's 3.1%. For teenagers, it's 12.5%. For Asian Americans, 2.5%. The change in non-total farm, I'm sorry, the change in total non-farm payroll was revised up uh, from 159,000 to 166,000. The change for August was revised up by 38,000. With these revisions, employment gains in August and in July were more than previously reported. In September, the average hourly earnings for all employees on private non-farm payrolls dropped one cent to $28.09 following an 11 cent rise in August. Over the last 12 months, average hourly earnings have increased 2.9%. This is really good news for the president. Obviously, Democrats are out today saying the president benefited from the Obama economy. What's really going on here is the president is benefiting from the tax cuts. The tax cuts have continued to hold things off. Now, the future uh, shows some warning signs, but the president's in a good place. The future does show, for example, uh, manufacturing in August and September has begun to slow. The manufacturing workforces have declined. What's so interesting, though, is the people leaving manufacturing workforces are either retiring or they're able to get new jobs. Uh, and that shows we've got some dynamics in the economy that are still working in the president's favor, even in Rust Belt areas where the president's trying to revitalize those areas. The jobs aren't coming back back into Rust Belt Industries, but the jobs are coming just in different forms, and that's benefiting the president. The other thing that is notable here is the president is able to have some level of cushion. Uh, So as Europe slows down and China slows down, and by the way, there's absolutely no dispute that Europe and China are slowing down right now. We have a little cushion in this country. It allows the president to play his uh, tariff games. Uh, Hush, Siri. By the way, you should know, speaking of tariffs, The White House has announced that they're going to increase tariffs on certain European products, including chocolates, wine, and scotches, whiskeys from Europe. Why? This is in punishment for uh, in the World Trade Organization. The World Trade Organization has ruled against Europe. Europe had been subsidizing Airbus plane manufacturing. The United States filed a complaint on behalf of Boeing with the World Trade Organization claiming it was inappropriate for European countries to be subsidizing Airbus making airplanes. The World Trade Organization ruled in our favor, and that allows us to extract penalties from Europe for a certain period of time by imposing tariffs. Now, the media has been uh, reporting this as an extension of the trade war. It's actually in punishment for Europe having subsidized Airbus planes. The problem here is that though the president is applying tariffs to whiskeys, wines, and chocolates from Europe, 
It's actually Americans who will pay the tariffs. The European com- countries won't pay the tariffs. Americans will. The, the, essentially, what this does is it tries to dissuade Americans from buying European chocolates, European wine, and European whiskeys in favor of American chocolates, American whiskeys, and American wines. So California may benefit to some degree. Uh, bourbon country certainly going to benefit from the news, which is excellent. Uh, but is, we, we've got that issue. You do need to be mindful of that. Now, we need to turn to other news. That's the economic news of the day. Uh, I have taken the time to reach out to the Department of Labor here in Georgia, just so you know. Uh, in the next hour, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time going walking across the map of Georgia. And you can actually see what the governor, when the governor says... Uh, rural Georgia needs to um, needs to become high tech, needs to get broadband. We need to figure out how to attract industry to rural Georgia. You can see it in the numbers. I spent a little time breaking those numbers down, and I want to walk you through Georgia unemployment in the next hour and how it looks on the map. National unemployment, though, however, another big takeaway, uh, record low Hispanic unemployment. Um, black unemployment in this country is at, a, at an all-time high all-time high for Hispanic employment, all-time high for Asian-American employment, uh, and just really good news. The best economic news this president could hope to have at a time, at a time the media is starting to really get overwhelmed uh, and the media is really starting to go full in on impeachment. Now, I got to ask you a question. By the way, by the way, by the way, as we do this, I want to play this audio real quick. This is from the the CEO of Salesforce. You will recall Salesforce, uh, the head of sales. So let me explain to you who, who have no idea what Salesforce is. You encounter Salesforce on a daily basis and you do not even know it. Salesforce is the back end uh, of many systems, many corporations use called uh, customer uh, relations management software. If you get an email from, let's say, so I, I bought a, a new Yukon from Jim Ellis in Atlanta a while back, and I get emails now from Jim Ellis uh, wanting to check in, wanting to make sure I've got my oil change, wanting me to know that I got a coupon for a tire rotating balance. Well, this is a GM system, but GM runs its system on top of Salesforce, where Salesforce is essentially a big database where you can draw in all the people who purchase products from you or interact with you on social media even or like you on Facebook. You can get their contact information and you can reach out to them. You can reach out to them on Facebook, Twitter. You can reach out to them by email. You can gauge their responses. If they've opened the email, you'll be able to track it. If they've replied, you'll be able to track it and things like that. So all these systems work on top of Salesforce. Salesforce is a highly progressive company. Salesforce is one of those companies that was headquartered in Indiana when Mike Pence was governor and signed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Salesforce threatened to walk away from Indiana. This is the CEO of Salesforce. Listen to this guy. I really strongly believe that capitalism as we know it is dead, that we're going to see a new kind of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And that new kind of capitalism that's going to emerge is not the Milton Friedman capitalism that it's just about making money. Right. And if your orientation is just about making money, I don't think you're going to hang out very long as a CEO or a founder of a company. You have to be more than that in today's world. You certainly have to be more than that in San Francisco. And, and, that's and because you certainly you need have to be more than right? that in our tech industry as well. Now, what he's essentially talking about is you've got to be more social justice oriented. You, you've got to um, it, it, there's nothing wrong with major corporations involving themselves in the community. The problem is they're steering more and more to the left. 
and in steering more and more to the left and embracing social justice, they, one of the ironies is they are embracing policies that then hurt their business. They're essentially being hijacked by social justice warriors. So, for example, let's take Target. No, 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 no. Better example, more recent example, Dick's Sporting Goods. Dick's not only decided to stop selling guns in their stores, but Dick's then hired lobbyists to try to get laws passed in Washington to prohibit other competitors of Dick's from uh, selling guns in their stores. And what did customers do? Customers stopped shopping at Dick's. My wife would rather crawl across broken glass with snakes on her back to go somewhere else. She does not shop at Dick's. She refuses to shop at Dick's after the, the CEO went after gun owners. Uh, and Dick's had a massive decline in uh, sales. Target, I, I brought up Target. Remember, Target decided they would have transgender bathrooms. They would allow transgender people into bathrooms, and people stopped shopping at Target. They didn't want to take their kids in there. And so Target had to spend a lot of money and buy uh, unisex bathrooms, single-stall unisex bathrooms. They had to build them, not buy them, uh, for people to go in, and, and it cost them money. Corporate wokeness undermines corporate profitability. And this Salesforce CEO guy essentially saying that they're going to have to go woke uh, if they want to stay in business. Well, if you live in San Francisco, yeah, maybe so. But I do think the biggest danger to the economy right now, uh, beyond the tariffs, I do think the tariffs are economically dangerous for the president long term. Um, beyond that, though, beyond that, I, I genuinely think that corporate wokeness is going to do in corporations. We're seeing this around the country. Corporations embracing leftist policies. I mean, for uh, harassing Christians, um, you name it. And we're going to see this. Apple Computer, I've got a story when we come back about Apple. Apple is helping the Chinese communists persecute dissidents in Hong Kong because, well, there's essentially been, dare I say, Shanghai by China. Uh, they, they've been hijacked by China. They can't afford to upset their Chinese communist um, patrons. And so now they're allowing the Chinese to go after Hong Kong dissidents. We'll discuss that when we come back. That's right. Yes, you can. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you will give a try this weekend. The um, If you signed up for the recipe yesterday, uh, the uh, barbecue uh, brisket po' boy, barbecue beef po' boy. I got to make that this weekend too. I really need to make that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let's not get distracted by that. I, I want to tell you, by the way, while I'm talking about corporations, this hour is sponsored by First Liberty Building and Loan here in Georgia. Now, if you're listening nationwide and you are involved in capital acquisition for a small or medium-sized business, uh, First Liberty, they may be here in Georgia, but they operate nationwide and they can help you get access to capital to grow your business. If you're a small or medium-sized business, you want to be a big business, you need access to capital, you're probably going to go through a bank and a bureaucracy from a bank that is scared to lend anybody money these days. First Liberty of Georgia, good Christian family runs them, the Frost family. They're dear friends of mine. They have uh, helped me get this off the ground. Frankly, going to them helps this show. So go to firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you and help your business start growing. This is our sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia. Apple, 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 Apple. I love Apple. I have, I'm, I'm right now, I have an iPhone here. I have an Apple Watch on my wrist. I got an older iPhone right here. I've got my iPad over here. I've got my laptop here. I've got my iMac behind me. I'm in the cult. And so I feel really, really dirty right now. Really dirty right now. 
I don't like Windows machines. When I was a kid, I grew up in Dubai, and uh, we had a, we had Apple IIEs, and then we had Apple II, had the 2C, and then the 2E. I started on a computer in 1981 in first grade. I started on computers. Uh, so we had the 2E, and then we had the 2GS, which I still to this day love. Uh, then we had the Macs, and when I got into high school, we moved back. I was the only kid in school, just for a perspective of how I grew up. I realized I grew up very uniquely. I've still been in more countries than states. I was the only kid in my school growing up who did not have a computer. And when I moved back to Louisiana, we moved back to rural Louisiana uh, when I was in 10th grade. And my parents finally decided to get me a computer. I wanted a Mac, but Macs were like $10,000. They were insane. At least the Mac I wanted. I wanted the 2CI. Um, And my parents got me a Windows PC. At the time, it was DOS. It was uh, Windows 3.1 big. We were headed into Windows 95 uh, soon, but it was Windows 3.1. It was DOS, MS-DOS, and I was went from being the only kid in my school without a computer to being the only kid in my school with a computer uh, in rural Louisiana. And man, it was top of the line. It was 33 megahertz. Uh, it had a 60 megabyte hard drive in it. I mean, it was just, yeah, megabytes, megabytes and megahertz, not gigahertz. Yeah. Crazy, crazy at the time. Um, it had a modem in it. I mean, I could dial into bulletin board services and, and get library resources. It was crazy. Um, man, it was so primitive and it had a flaw in it in that it would not turn on unless you pounded it with your fist, uh, right over the power button. You had to whack it with your fist for it to turn on. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, I swore when I got to college and I made money, I would start buying Apple stuff. And here I am. Apple now makes everything in in China, in in Shenzhen, in that area. And Apple has deleted from its app store an app that allows people in Hong Kong to see where the protesters are, see where the police are, and see where tear gas has been sprayed so they can avoid the area. And Apple says that uh, that violates the law in China, and they've deleted the app. It was an app being used by the protesters to avoid getting arrested and to avoid the tear gas zones. And Apple has pulled it. They are helping the communist Chinese. They're, they're not admitting it, but it seems pretty clear the Chicoms complained, and Apple yanked the app. This is one of the, you know, Facebook gets a very bad rap. In Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, uh, Facebook gets a bad rap. The difference between Facebook and Google is that Facebook, uh, you don't really have to use it if you get online. You, you can go your entire day without using Facebook. Although, if you're watching the show anywhere around the country right now, I'm streaming live on Facebook. I like Facebook, and, and I, I'm not a huge Facebook user. It is a great way for me to interact with my family, uh, but you know, it's just one more thing in my life. That being said... Unlike Apple, a company I dearly love whose products I use, uh, Facebook doesn't operate in China because Apple is willing to surrender data of people in China to the Chinese communist authorities, and Facebook isn't willing to do that. Think about that for a minute. Facebook, I think, intuitively understands that China would be able to use the data to find patterns of people that would suggest, for example, they're Christians and go round up the Christians. Apple lets... China have access to that data. 
And Apple is always portrayed as it well, of course, Apple is portrayed as that because Tim Cook is is woke CEO who goes around filing amicus briefs in the in the uh, Supreme Court and, and uh, LGBTQ issues and the like. But they're the ones helping the communist Chinese not Facebook. Uh, when people are worried about invasion of privacy, think about it from that aspect and then wonder, maybe we should reconsider some things. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Phone lines are actually now open. You can call in if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Yeah, let me say that again. Man, did I screw that up with the uh? 877-973-7425. I actually am curious uh, what would it would take for you to support impeaching the president is is there any line that could be crossed short of murder um i i want to discuss this for a moment um before i do want to remind you first liberty georgia is the sponsor for this hour first liberty ga.com if you got a business, you want to grow your business, you need access to capital, avoid the banks. Go to firstlibertyga.com and tell them I sent you. I, I am going to replay this video. I am going to replay the video because I need to make a point to you. Uh, you. You may be tired of this video. I'm not actually tired of this video. I, I could play this video every day to make this purpose. Um, here, here's the thing. I wonder how much the president is benefiting from the media crying wolf for so long. This is, this is audio. It's actually video, but I'm playing you the audio from the video of the media, media conversations beginning February 1st, 2017 and running through February of 2019. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshells. This is a very dramatic day, and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end. Beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. We begin tonight with a bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. 
know-how, breaking news, absolute bombs. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The wall's closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the Achilles heel. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today, the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. What a historic day. The bombshells. He's underwater. He feels the walls closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 This is a bombshell. It is. (laughs) Okay. So I, 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 I got a legit question. How much is the president benefiting from the media crying wolf? Y'all remember the story of the boy who cried wolf, I assume. A little boy in a field is bored. He's tending the sheep. He decides he needs some excitement in his life, and so he runs into the the town screaming, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. And the men of the town gather their armaments and their their torches, their, their, their batons and their guns and their pitchforks, and they run off to attack the wolf because they know the town livelihood. It depends on these sheep and they got to, they got to save the sheep, the little boy tending the sheep for his family. It's a community effort. They go out to find the wolf and the little boy just falls out laughing. There is no wolf. And the town people, they admonish the little boy and they go back to their work. And later in the day in the field, the sun is very high in the sky and the boy is very hot and bored. He runs, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. This time there really is a wolf. And they all run out again and there is no wolf. And the little boy laughs and they might spank him, but they're annoyed and they go inside. Well, at the end of the day, the sheep are tired and the boy is tired and a wolf comes, a hungry wolf comes. And the little boy is scared and he runs in town and he says, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. Please, please believe me this time. There's a wolf and no one believes him. And the wolf eats the sheep. There, there, you know, the, the media has loved the emperor has no clothes metaphor for the president. I wonder if, if there's one for the media here. And that is uh, the boy who cried wolf. They've done this since the president was elected. Breaking point, turning point, crisis moment, impeachment, tipping point, on and on and on it goes. At some point, the public gets tired of it, but there's more to it than that. There, There is more to it than that. I want to play you a little bit of audio. Let's listen to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And some of her exchanges, I'm not going to play the one about the woman who believes we need to eat babies. I I don't know if you heard this yet. Actually, you know, maybe I should um, play this if I can find it. Um, A woman last night at the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez event showed up and claimed that one of the things we need to do is we need to eat babies. Uh, That's right. We need to eat babies. Woman showed up, she claimed to be a supporter of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, and she wasn't really. And, and, you know, I saw it last night, and I thought, this woman has to be a troll. She has to be a troll. This cannot be a real person. And it turns out uh, it, it was a plant. It was a LaRouche activist, a, a LaRouche activist. You know, Lyndon LaRouche was one of the original conspiracy theorists, 
And this woman shows up at the AOC event and demands that one of the ways we need to deal with the situation is we need to start eating babies. Uh, we got to start eating. Yeah, let me actually just just listen to this. We're going to be moment. here for much long because of the climate crisis. We only have a few months left. I love that you support the Green Deal, but it's not getting, you know, getting rid of fossil fuel is not going to solve the problem fast enough. A Swedish professor saying, you know, we can eat dead people, but that's not fast enough. So I think your next uh, campaign slogan has to be this. We got to start eating babies. We don't have enough time. There's too much CO2. All of you, you're, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. We have to start now, please. You are so great. I'm so happy that you're really supporting your great deal, but it's not enough. You know, even she's wearing a shirt that says save the planet, eat the children. There actually is a Swedish professor who said we need to become cannibals to save the planet. Uh, she actually, yeah, there is a Swedish professor who said this, this woman amplified it. She was a LaRouche. Uh, LaRouche's are nutty conspiracy theorists, uh, who showed up at this event. We should not, uh, tag AOC with it, but she says enough. She says enough stuff. Uh, let, let, let's let's read. So let, let's read. Let's listen to some of this uh, from her event last night. The Mercy and Reentry Act allows us to open all of our social safety nets, nets, and it ends federal discrimination on our social programs based on people who were formerly incarcerated. And one reason that we do that is because one of the number one reasons for recidivism, why mass incarceration is such a persistent problem, is poverty it's because people come out we refuse and we deny and we ex and we refuse to extend opportunities to folks so then we ice we create so much economic isolation in this country that people feel funneled right back into recidivism and then we're incarcerating the same community over and over again so the mercy and reentry act ends federal discrimination for the formerly incarcerated for our social safety net and the embrace act we are doing the same and we're ending and it's a it's a piece of legislation that ends similar discrimination based on documentation status. It's a kind of a next level right. piece of legislation. Next level and it is something that people are going to say, why would you do that? I believe that we need to acknowledge the contributions that immigrants make in America. I'm just going to stop it there because my brain hurts. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And, and then the, there's, there's this, there's this. When it comes to the Green New Deal, people are like, and of course, they, they come from the zero-sum mentality. We're going to take away your hamburgers. We're going to take away your airplanes. We're going to take away all of these things. And really, what this is asking us is what are we going to make, not what are we going to take away. What are we going to establish? And frankly, for everyone that says a Green New Deal is going to ground planes, I guarantee you climate change, which threatens storms, turbulence, airplane groundings, and airport closures, will ground airplanes far sooner and far worse than any sort of climate legislation ever would if we made, for example, scientific investments in zero carbon airplanes. And zero carbon airplanes. Like that, which I believe at some point, you know, hopefully we'll be able to create that kind of technology, but it takes thinking like this to do it. You, you know what you would need to do to have a zero carbon airplane? You would have to have no people in it because people are carbon based life forms, are they not? So it, we, we've got the media refuses to give a pass or, or always gives a pass to this stuff and always amplifies every single thing about the administration. So you got people in flyover countries. 
country. I mean, heck, there are parts. If you're listening, for example, in WCHM in, in Habersham County, you're considered flyover country to the media. How, how many members of the mainstream media show up in, in Clarksville? How many members of the mainstream media show up in Rome? How many members of the mainstream media go to Dalton or Jasper or Adel or Quitman or Vidalia? How many? Well, they go to Vidalia to get the good onions. But nonetheless, I, how many people do that? You're flyover country for them. You typically go to church on Sunday. Most of you listening right now, you may not go to church this Sunday, but I bet you you're going to be in church at some point this month. I bet you you have a church you're tied to. I bet your family historically goes to church. I bet you consider yourself a Christian. I bet, I bet you consider yourself socially conservative. And you have the media that thinks in your small town, you need to embrace transgenderism. You need to embrace gay marriage, and if you're a Christian small business, you should be providing goods and services to that gay marriage or you should be shut down. I bet, I bet, I bet uh, that there are people who lament at the libraries in northeast Georgia and northwest Georgia. There, It is a sad disservice to the community that there are no drag queen story time hours at the local library. I bet... I bet you work at the local coal-burning power plant, you understand that they want to put you out of business and put you out of the workforce. And now they're telling you the guy who stood up for you needs to go. And they've told you he needed to go in 2015. They told you he needed to go in 2016. They told you he needed to go in 2017. They told you he needed to go in 2018. And they've told you he needed to go every month of this year. And you're suddenly wondering why, what's changed? You're not paying attention. See, that's the other thing. Members of the media, they obsess over this stuff. I I played you the montage. Turning point, tipping point, breaking point, snapping point, impeachment every single day of the year. The media has been obsessed with the president every single day of every single year of his administration. And you have, you've got a life. Many of you today are going to a high school football game tonight. I apparently am not because I just got told I got to work this evening. Many of you, though, you're going to a high school football game tonight. You're going as the grandparent of a kid. You're going as the parent of a kid. You're going because your friends are still on the high school team. You're in college and you want to go cheer them on. Or you're going because you're in high school, you're skipping school, and you're listening to me, which is a better education than most schools. And you're going to go hang out with your friends tonight. You're probably going to a high school football game tonight. The media... If they go to a high school football game tonight, they're going to be there with their cameras to cover how violent a sport it is and how we should get rid of it. I bet this weekend you're going to cook out. I bet you are. You're going to cook out. You're going to go do something. My wife this weekend, so my wife has a Harley. My wife is going to ride in a Jay's Hope ride. It is a ride for a a cancer charity in middle Georgia. She'll be riding in that. I'll be taking my son to Little League Soccer tomorrow while my wife is on this motorcycle charity ride. And you'll be doing something similar. Members of the media will instead be stewing over how to get the president. They'll be out in search of their organic homeopathic kale salads 
while you're on the Little League field. Try not to sweat. By the way, cooler temperatures starting tomorrow. Praise Jesus. Cool weather. The fall is finally coming. Fall is coming. My leaves are falling outside. I mean, I got leaves all over the yard, and it's still 100 degrees outside. It's crazy. But nonetheless, you got a life. You're not paying attention to all this stuff. And every time you check in, the media is yet again telling you there's a bombshell, tipping point, turning point, uh, you name it. The last time you paid attention to this stuff, you got on TV to watch and it was Bob Mueller saying the president didn't coordinate with the Russians. And you're thinking, what? For two years, they've been telling me he did and they were lying. So now the media is telling you this. And what do you think? Every time you tune in, stuff is having to be retracted. You know, last week they said it wasn't coordinated. Now it is coordinated, except MSNBC, of course. MSNBC says, oh, no, 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 no. It's not coordinated. No. You just, you look at this stuff and you think, I'm not being told the truth by these guys. And I got problems with him, but he's on my side and they're out to get me. So I, and the moral of the story is I think they've raised the bar very high. If you're in politics and you pay attention to this all the time and, and you can be a high-minded pundit who cares about your principles, you can look at all this stuff and you can say, by God, this guy needs to go. If you're working in a coal plant in Georgia, a coal power plant, you're thinking, this guy's keeping me in a job. They want to put me out of a job. I'll excuse a lot before I throw him out of office. There is a vast disconnect in the media right now. It's one thing for a pundit to say this is bad. The president broke the law or the president abused his office and he should be impeached. But try telling that to real world Americans who for the last couple of years have become assured by the media that the left is out to get them. And the same left that's out to get them is out to get the president. So why shouldn't they stand with the president? And after all, they've been crying wolf for so long. How do we know this is true? It may just be another thing. And the fact the media doesn't even understand that, they don't get it. They, they, they do not recognize that they are in part at fault for all of this. And it's going to take a very high bar for the media to convince you that this time, this time, this time, there really is a wolf. Sorry, I'm I'm staring at footage from Hong Kong. The uh, streets are on fire, and, and it looks like police in riot gear are storming down the street. It's just unreal. Uh, you know, part of the transcript that's come out from the president and his talk with President Z or she or whatever, I say hey, people seem, hey, this is part of my pet peeve, um, people seem to be convinced that I need to pronounce uh, everything Chinese as if I'm from China and know I'm an American. Uh, nonetheless, um, the president apparently told the president of China he would keep his mouth shut on the Hong Kong protesters as long as uh, trade negotiations were ongoing, and some people are upset about that. Uh, he also uh, raised a red flag about Joe Biden's son getting business deals from China. I, You know what? I'll spend a little more time on that later because uh, I do have some thoughts on that, and I think the president has a case to make. Um, I, 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 I want to mention something here. Uh, a dear friend of mine is leaving the Trump administration, now, Rick Perry, the Secretary of Energy. He's not gone yet. Uh, he's signaling he will depart in November, and I am a big fan of Rick Perry's. 
he has worked very quietly. A lot of people forget he's even in the Trump administration because he's never in the headlines, and he's never in the headlines by demand, uh, by insistence on his part. He does not want to be in the headlines. And he wants to do his job, and he behind the scenes, he's been doing his job. He's been doing it scandal-free. Uh, he's been overseeing the American uh, nuclear reserves, American nuclear energy, and American nuclear weapons. In fact, so I interviewed Rick last year at our resurgent gathering. We held it in Austin, Texas, and he was just so excited about his job. You know, the irony here is that Rick Perry is in charge of a division of the government that he wanted to get rid of. In fact, it's the one he forgot he wanted to get rid of on stage, the famously the 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 three departments of government. That was kind of the, the moment his campaign ended. Uh, when he did that on stage and and people started making jokes about it, and now he's in charge of one of those. And uh, Rick Perry loves his job. He, he's amazed by what the Secretary of Energy actually does, much of which is classified. In fact, he was telling me the story. He met a guy. He was in Europe, and he met a guy in an airport who came up and introduced himself. He wasn't traveling with a big entourage. He doesn't like to travel with an entourage. Nobody really recognizes him anyway. But this guy came up to him and, and says, Secretary Perry, he says, yep. He says, I'm one of your employees. And he, Rick Perry shakes his hand and says, well, what do you do? He says, well, I'm, I'm our liaison with Interpol. And Rick Perry says, oh, we, we have a liaison with Interpol? And he says, why? And the guy says, well, I can't tell you in public, but I'll tell you in private. And that was his tip-off, that his job was far more expansive than he knew. And now he knows all the details of it. And he's done it uh, scandal-free. He's a great guy. When we come back, let's look at unemployment numbers around Georgia. It gives you a, a sense of why the governor's so focused on rural Georgia. Well, it's starting to look like Giuliani is realizing there's a problem and he may be turning on the president. Yeah, The Washington Post, uh, Jacqueline Alemani, I, I forgive me if I'm butching her name, uh, says uh, Rudy Giuliani told her last night uh, that if the president did hold up military aid for uh, politics uh, for 2020, that it would be problematic. But I don't think it happened. Uh, I don't think anything about, I, I didn't know anything about security assistance until I read it in the newspaper, he said. That's Giuliani. Oh, is this, this, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I, I want to focus on other stuff. I, this, this impeachment stuff is not going to happen anytime soon. We're all in these process arguments. First of all, first of all, first of all, uh, we, we got the Braves. Did you know the Braves? I saw this last night. The Braves have lost more. The Braves have lost more. Uh, first games in playoffs than any other team in Major League Baseball. I had no idea. They lost last night. Um, yeah, uh, the, the the Braves have lost more games, uh, the first in a series in playoffs, uh, than any other team in, in Major League Baseball, which is really something. Uh, Georgia, meanwhile, is headed to Knoxville this weekend uh, to, to bash... Uh, Tennessee, they're playing the Lady Vols um, in football. Uh, the Tennessee Athletics announced that they're going to put the women off the basketball court onto the football field because they'll probably have a better job of, of giving Georgia a run for the money than the actual football team. <laughs> and meanwhile, the weather is supposed to start being good. Yes, yes. Um, the weather is supposed to start being good in Georgia. Praise the Lord. Uh, I am looking up in Clarksville. Uh, we, we got 
man, you're going to be 69, 95 for a high today and 69 tomorrow for a high in Clarksville. In Rome, you're going to be 96 today and 86 tomorrow. And in God's country, that would be Athens, uh, 97 today and 75 tomorrow. Now, contrast that with poor old Valdosta. Uh, Valdosta is going to be a high of 96 today and 92 tomorrow, but, but go into the eighties on Sunday there and in Vidalia. Yeah. I'm actually reading the weather temperatures around my stations because 98 in Vidalia today, 87 in rain tomorrow. It'll be gosh in the fifties in Vidalia for night times by the end of next week. Hallelujah. Fall is finally here. Praise Jesus. Fall is finally here. Um, it's coming slowly now. Hang on. Let me just give you some perspective for, I I'm in Macon. I I'm right smack dab in the middle of the state and we're going to have a high of 101 today in Macon tomorrow, 87 degrees, uh, 86 by Sunday. It'll be 84 degrees for a high this time next week. Allegedly, of course, this is weather forecasting. We have no idea what it actually is, but 101 in Macon today. That's, that's right. 101 degrees where I am. I Y'all, hell has come to Georgia. Uh, my, my wife was actually talking about, she's she, a good Christian church friend of hers yesterday. They, they were in, saw each other in the hair salon, and the woman said, hell has finally come to Georgia. Yes, hell is here, and it didn't need Sherman to come with him. It's just Satan did it all on his own this time. I, wow. Okay, enough about the weather. We need to talk about unemployment in the state of Georgia. We, we do have a bunch of Georgians. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I did. I got a, a, a very nice lady from the state of Georgia, uh, emailed me and said on my statewide show, she listens to my show in Quitman, Georgia, uh, down in, in South Georgia. She lives on the Florida line. She, she listens in, in Quitman, Georgia. And she asked if I would please point out, she works for the state forestry, and she asked if I would please point out that there is a burn ban across the state of Georgia right now. Please do not be throwing cigarette butts out your windows. Please do not be lighting fires outside. She said it is very, very dry, and firefighters across the state of Georgia have, I think she said it was like 40 40 to 45% increase in wildfires in the state right now, uh, randomly started, a lot of them being started by loose debris, particularly idiots driving down the road who throw cigarette butts out. Uh, they're burning up interstate medians across the state of Georgia by throwing their cigarette butts out the window, uh, catching things on fire. It's so dry right now. We, we have, uh, we're going to get a little rain this weekend, but very limited drought relief. Anyway, uh, Sally in Quitman, who works for the State Forestry Commission, said, please ask everyone, since I'm statewide, to don't throw your cigarette butts out the window. Now, that being said, let, let's get into, um, into state unemployment. Uh, Habersham County, those of you up in Habersham County, I want you to know that you are doing quite well. In fact... Uh, nor the Georgia mountain region, the state divides up the Georgia region, uh, into, uh, 12 geographic areas and the Georgia mountain region includes banks, Dawson, Forsyth, Franklin, Habersham hall, Hart, Lumpkin, Rabin, Stevens, Towns, Union, and white counties, the Georgia mountain region. Uh, so for Forsyth counties in there, interestingly, Forsyth counties in there, not the Atlanta area, uh, but banks and Dawson, Franklin, Habersham hall, uh, Hart, Lumpkin, Rabin, 
Stevens, Towns, Union, and White counties, and your unemployment rate, your unemployment rate is 3.1%. The Georgia region, the Georgia Mountain region, has the lowest unemployment in the state. To give you perspective here, the state unemployment right now is 3.8%, and the, uh, the Georgia Mountain region is 3.1%, which is pretty impressive. Now, northwest Georgia is the Rome area. It's a 15-county area, actually. It's Bartow, Chattooga, Catoosa, Dade, Fanning, Floyd, Gilmer, Gordon, Harrelson, Murray, Paulding, Pickens, Polk, War, uh, Walker, and Whitfield counties. Your unemployment rate is 3.6%. Again, below the national average, below the national average, below the state average. Uh, you're, you're doing well up there in, uh, in the Rome area. Uh, middle Georgia is at 4%. South Georgia is at 3.9%. Southwest Georgia is at 4.2%. The Athens area, the Athens-Clark County area, that's considered Northeast Georgia. So this is the way the state does this. you got the real Northeast Georgia are the mountains. Northeast Georgia is the Athens area. It's Bar uh, Barrow, Clark, uh, Elbert, Green, Jackson, Jasper, Madison, uh, Morgan, Newton, Oconee, Oglethorpe, and Walton counties. Your unemployment rate is 3.5%. Down from 3.8% a year ago. But the reason I'm, there's actually a method of my madness going through this. Let, let, me, let me give you the areas just so you know. Southwest Georgia is at 4.2%. That's Baker, Calhoun, Colquitt, Decatur, Darty, Early. Notice I said Darty instead of Doherty. Um, Early, Grady, Lee, Miller, Mitchell, Seminole, Terrell, Thomas, and Worth counties. The Three Rivers area, that's the area where you have the, you got parts of the Akmolgi, you got parts of the Flint, you got parts of the uh, Chattahoochee flowing through those areas. That's uh, Chattahoochee, Clay, Chris, Dooley, Harris, Macon, Marion, Muskogee, Quitman, Randolph, Sly, uh, Stewart, Sumter, Talbot, Taylor, and Webster counties. Uh, that is, if you're, you're south of I-20, and you're south of the LaGrange area, essentially, although LaGrange is kind of in there. You've got that area in there around the Muskogee area, the Columbus area, uh, headed over towards Thomaston, that area, uh, down to um, just above Darty County. The reason I'm pointing this out, let me do the last one and you'll, you'll understand why. Uh, the River Valley, not the River Valley area, uh, it is the heart of Georgia. Uh, the heart of Georgia area is southeast Georgia. That's Waycross, that's Douglas, that's Eastman. Uh, that area is at 5.1%. Now, the reason I, I wanted to break this down like this, the reason I wanted to uh, kind of divide this up, is the North Georgia area, the Habersham County area wrapped around uh, Forsyth County, uh, Lumpkin County, over and down into the Floyd County, the um, Barrow County, the, the that area. The arc around North Atlanta, all the way over to the South Carolina line, gets a lot of attention from our politicians because that area has gotten a lot of population growth. I mean, just the development, uh, head up towards Clayton, Georgia, head up Lake Rabin, um, see the see that area up there and how it has grown. See the north of Lake Lanier area, the Gainesville area and north, and see how it has grown. 
And you've got a lot of people who either they commute into more urban areas or they are able to work up there. Some of them, frankly, commute up to North Carolina and South Carolina. You got a lot of people now who live in Northeast Georgia who commute into South Carolina for work. And that area uh, economically is doing the best in the state. The Northeast Mountains in Georgia is the best area in the state. And we have a lot of politicians as the population has grown up there. It's still considered rural Georgia technically, but it's got more seats in the state legislature than, for example, southeast Georgia. So it gets a lot of attention. And, of course, Windstream is hot garbage up there. And so it, it gets a lot of attention from state leaders on broadband. It's got, a, it, it's, get, it's got focus. But then you get down into southeast Georgia, and the southeast Georgia actually has the worst employment in the state right now. Southeast Georgia is above the um, Southeast Georgia is above the national average and is above the state average and is above all the rest of Georgia. It has some serious problems in unemployment. It is at 5% unemployment. That area in South Georgia is, they call it the heart of Georgia area. It's Appling County, it's Bleckley County, it's Chandler County, it's Dodge County, Emanuel, Evans, Jeff Davis, Johnson, Lawrence, Montgomery, Tattnall, Telfair, Toombs, Trutland, Wayne, Wheeler, and Wilcox counties. Uh, those areas of Georgia have been very hard hit agriculturally. They're in a drought right now. They're, a lot of them have moved to subsistence farming. They are rural areas. They are predominantly black areas in the state. Uh, they are areas, interestingly enough, that went for Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp did very well in the election in 2018. I, I'm, I'm pulling up the statewide results just so everybody gets a sense of this. They are counties that Brian Kemp is really committed to. And they are counties where people are on hard times. And they are counties that are isolated to a degree because those counties are areas where there is no major airport. If you're in, for example, Dodge County, Georgia, um, if, you're in Do if you're in Eastman, Georgia, my wife, as a matter of fact, wants to ride her motorcycle down there. She, there's a, a, the Leatherman is, is a motorcycle um, outfit down there. But if you're in Eastman, Georgia, that is, I'm in Macon, and it's an hour and 15 minutes from me in Macon to get to Eastman. If you're in Eastman, where's the nearest airport that you can, drive, that you can get to to get a major flight? You've got to drive two hours to two and a half hours to Savannah. You got to drive two and a half hours to Atlanta. You got to drive three, four hours to Jacksonville. There's nothing down there. And I, I don't mean this disparagingly to those areas. You, you understand if you live down there, what I'm talking about McCray on the Gold Nile Parkway, Eastman, McCray, Hazelhurst, Baxley, Jessup. Go down to Douglas, Fitzgerald, Abbeville. You got a big prison in Abbeville. Take Hawkinsville. Take even Cochrane. You got a college down there. You're, you're about an hour outside of Macon. 
But what do you do economically in those areas? You got a lot of farmland down there. Georgia Power is building some infrastructure down there. Georgia Power is building some power down there. There's a lot of land down there to build stuff. But there are no major highways. There are no interstates in that area. There's not a port facility in that area. There's not a major airport facility in that area. And the small family farm, Sonny Purdue is actually right when he points this out, that the small family farms are starting to crumble. But on top of that, you got no internet infrastructure down there. You don't have a telecommunications infrastructure down there. Most of the people you drive down in that area, I'm down there all the time. I mean, this is south of me. We take rides out of the country. We go down there. People are dependent on satellite dishes because you don't even have a cable TV infrastructure down there. And those areas are the areas where the state needs to focus for jobs. Those areas are the areas of the state where we got to figure out something. They're, they're the areas of the state that are economically falling behind. And as they fall economically behind, the people of Atlanta, the, the, the good white liberals in Atlanta, they forget about those people. They look at you if you're in Habersham County or they look at you and you're in Floyd County, they're saying they're doing quite well. Y'all are rural Georgia. If you're in Habersham, if you're in in uh, you're in in Floyd County, you're in Pickens County. They're looking at you and they're thinking, well, th- those are rural areas we drive through. We go on vacation there. They've got money. They don't ever see Dooley County. They don't ever see Meriwether County. They don't ever see Appling County. They don't go in those areas. And the governor won those areas. The governor campaigned through those areas, so he cares about those areas. But a lot of the state is oblivious to him, and trying to get economic resources down there to help those areas is something the government is going to have to deal with. Again, the state unemployment right now is 3.8%. And in southeast Georgia, unemployment is at 5%. In the Three Rivers areas, it's almost 5%. That's the area of all the pecan groves, pecan orchards down in south Georgia. And the peach field, the peach orchards in South Georgia, that, that's where that is. And they're still at 4.7% unemployment. It is mostly black. It is mostly poor. It is mostly without major e- e- telecom infrastructure. You go to the areas, interestingly enough, where there is major telecom infrastructure or close to an airport. Coastal Georgia, 3.7% unemployment. The Athens area, 3.5% unemployment. Um, Habersham County area, 3.1% unemployment. Go down close to Jacksonville, go down close to Tallahassee, you've got under 4% unemployment. It's those rural areas, though, in the heart of Georgia that need help, and they don't have the eyeballs or the attention, and the governor and the state really need to figure out a way to help those areas. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. If you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. A little bit more in Georgia before we get back into impeachment. Uh, You know, it's, I realize you would never know this from the national media, but believe it or not, there's a world outside of impeachment that's happening around the state. Uh, one of those, interestingly enough, is the UGA um, trustee who has stepped aside. He is involved in scandal. Now, where's I had the story up earlier. My goodness, this always happens to me. I have the story up, and then the story goes away. So anyway, uh, this guy was uh, on the board, uh, the what the, the chancellor board, and he is out. Uh, He is out because 
of scandal. He is under investigation uh, from the, my goodness, my voice just cracked, allergies, allergies, I'll blame allergies. He's under investigation uh, because he created a contract and forged a name uh, from someone, uh, an employee at UGA, claiming that his company would be getting a massive amount of money and then sold that debt to another company so that company could make a profit. Uh, Yes, uh, the Regents Board. It is, um, what's his name, Dean Alford. Let me read you some. This is Eric Sturgis at the AJC. Uh, Georgia Board of Regents member Dean Alford resigned Thursday amid a state investigation into allegations he forged a state employee's signature and filed fraudulent invoices to collect taxpayer funds for his company. <laughs> a buddy of mine just texted me, welcome to adulthood. You'll notice some changes. I got allergies. Stop, stop it. Uh, the state attorney general's office and Georgia Bureau of Investigation issued an arrest warrant for Alford on suspected racketeering and for criminal attempt to commit theft by taking. Now, so here's the situation. He, he he has a company called Allied Energy Services. They work on permitting, financing, and construction of solar uh, waste energy product uh, projects and other things. Basically, taking advantage of Green New Deal nonsense. Although it's been was founded in '77, um, it, it's got over five billion dollars of energy products in in Central and North America. He's suspected of transmitting fraudulent documents to a company called uh, Versant. Uh, He said the University of Georgia had a $487,000 debt with his company, and he sold that debt to Versant and forged documents from a UGA employee. Now, interestingly enough, his wife was the executive director of the Georgia Lottery. She's now saying she's filing for divorce. She had no idea he was doing this sort of stuff. But there's a political catch. We'll get into it when we come back. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We we should have some good news to tell you about soon, rather excited. Okay, 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 we got to get into uh, the, the political implications of this story. Um, if you're just tuning in here across the state of Georgia, a, a regent from the border, Georgia Board of Regents, Dean Alford, abruptly resigned on Thursday. The GBI is looking for him. He's going to turn himself in. Um, he is accused of arranging. Uh, so in finance now, there are situations, you, you know, you can do this with the lottery, too. You, you, you win the lottery. And you get them to pay you out uh, $12 million, $10 million a year over 30 years. So you're going to get $300 million. Well, you can go to a, you can go to various finance companies and they will uh, buy your, they will pay you $200 million right now. And in exchange, you sign away your $300 million. So they'll make, that company knows they're going to make $100 million because the state's not going to default on the lottery payment. And you, you you check the wrong box. You decided to spread it out over time. You can go to one of these companies. Well, this is essentially what uh, this guy, Dean Alford, did. He said he had a debt of 400000 dollars coming from the University of Georgia, um, and he signed it away. He sold the debt. 
The the debt from the University of Georgia system was $487,982. And so he sold the debt to a group called Versant Funding and provided them all the documentation, the signatures from the University of Georgia, all of that. Uh, but there's a problem. It looks like he did it in excess of $1.7 million uh, over time, the, the various debts that he had. Uh, and he got immediate working capital for his company. And here's the catch. According to the state of Georgia, he forged the signatures. He never actually had contracts with the system. And he forged signatures. Now, uh, Debbie offered his wife was the former chief executive of Georgia Lottery. She says she is very socked, shocked by the allegations. Uh, she was planning to file for divorce. She is definitely now filing for divorce. This guy is going to go to jail. By the way, you should note, uh, Alford is one of the uh, regents that Nathan Deal, spur of the moment, uh, added to the board. Remember, when Nathan Deal was leaving... Nathan Deal um, added a bunch of people to the Board of Regents, basically uh, preventing Brian Kemp from adding people to the Board of Regents. Uh, Nathan Deal stacked the Board of Regents on his way out the door, and Jeff Duncan actually blocked those appointments. And the reason Jeff Duncan blocked those appointments was because um, the governor's office, Governor Deal's office, transmitted uh, the notice to Jeff Duncan. The problem was that Jeff Duncan was not yet the, he had not been sworn in yet as Lieutenant governor. So Jeff Duncan said, you didn't follow the proper procedure. We're going to kill these. And, and they, they worked out a compromise with the, the deal administrator, the former deal administration, and they left Alford on the board. They replaced two other people, but, and they left Alford on, well, the Democrats, Jen Jordan, who's uh, the, the abortion advocate in the state Senate, she is blowing up Brian Kemp over this issue, saying, well, he's got this guy, Dean Alford, to resign. Why hasn't he forced the resignation of Jim Beck? Jim Beck, you will recall, is the state insurance commissioner. Jim Beck is uh, suspended from office because he's under a federal indictment for uh, corruption and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Jim Beck essentially doing what this Alford guy did. Uh, he was creating invoices, claiming work was done, and getting the Georgia Underwriters Association to pay him money through third-party entities. And so Beck is probably going to jail. In fact, I, I, I've been told, it's been a while since we've talked about this Jim Beck issue. They brought new charges. The, the U.S. Attorney in the Northern District of Georgia, B.J. Pack, has brought new charges against Jim Beck, uh, more expansive charges, if you will. They revised the indictment somewhat, made it more expansive. Uh, I am told reliably that they tried to cut a deal with Jim Beck. And Jim Beck has refused to cut the deal because Jim Beck doesn't want to go to jail. And the U.S. attorney insists that some jail time be served by the state insurance commissioner. So they're going to fight. They're going to go to trial. Well, Jim Jordan in the state Senate is attacking Brian Kemp for not forcing Jim Beck, who is under indictment, to resign from office. He's still allowed to collect his paycheck. He is still allowed to have his state insurance benefits. In fact, I'm told Beck won't resign because his wife has cancer and he needs his state insurance benefits to cover his wife's medical coverage. That's why he hasn't resigned. He otherwise would have. 
But here's what the Democrats in Georgia attacking Brian Kemp on this. They're smart. I mean, Jen Jordan's a smart person. She's got to know this. Uh, Jim Beck is a statewide elected official. Brian Kemp cannot force him to resign. Now, I guess Kemp could call the state legislature and impeach, but the state legislature in Georgia actually has precedent on this. The state legislature in Georgia does not impeach people who are indicted. They don't impeach people who are indicted because they're not convicted. If Jim Beck is convicted, he will automatically be removed from office, and they really do believe in this whole innocent until proven guilty thing. As a lawyer, you would think Jim Jordan would know that. As a lawyer, you would think Jim Jordan would know the governor can't force him to resign. But Jim Jordan really wants to run for higher office. She's thinking of running for the Senate. And she can't just run on fetal heartbeat. She can't run on fetal heartbeat because, one, fetal heartbeat just got held up by a judge. But, two, you know, despite some of the polling out there, fetal heartbeat really isn't that big of a deal for most people. And she knows if she's defined as the pro-abortion candidate, she's not going to win in Georgia. So she's got to come up with something else. So I guess she's going to take this corruption angle with the governor. I don't know that that's going to help her very much. But that's the angle she wants to take now, is the corruption angle. And she's attacking Brian Kemp for not forcing Jim Beck to resign. And I don't think that's going to help her. But it's it really is worth calling her out. Seriously, it's worth calling this out to attack the governor for not doing something that he has no power of doing. But that's the way the Democrats play these days. Um, so it's worth calling about. Meanwhile, in other state news, not we don't need to belabor all of that. In other state news, Jack Kingston, uh, who represented Savannah, he has filed his paperwork to run for the uh, U.S. Senate seat of Johnny Isaacson. Also, very interesting here, Randy Evans has done so. Randy Evans is the president's ambassador to Luxembourg. Very influential Republican, served on the Republican National Committee, has been very helpful in Georgia in redistricting and other fights. Uh, Randy Evans has also filed his paperwork for the Senate. And you know, there are a lot of people who say Randy Evans really helped persuade the president to look at endorsing Brian Kemp. Now, most people think Sonny Perdue had more to do with it than that, but, but... Um, that is out there now. So you got Jack Kingston. I, I, I don't listen. I think the world of Jack Kingston, Jack Kingston's a great guy. Uh, Jack Kingston lost to David Perdue in the Republican primary in 2014. If you'll recall, he and Karen Handel ran, um, and, Kingston's a great guy, but he's been on on TV as a surrogate for the president. He's also been a lobbyist. Uh, And and what does he do to expand the coalition? David Perdue and Brian Kemp are both signaling that they would like to expand the coalition. They would like to go beyond their uh, beyond the base. So, for example, Doug Collins is probably the front runner. If we're honest about it, Doug Collins up in Northeast Georgia, congressman, is probably the front runner. Doug Collins has high name ID. He has national visibility. Uh, he, The president likes him. Republicans like him. He fires up the base. Uh, he knows how to raise money. Doug Collins is probably the front runner. No disrespect at all intended to Doug Collins, who I love. We have him on this program a, a, a lot. Um, I think one of the things that Doug Collins has to answer is David Perdue and Brian Kemp are both saying they would love to expand the base. How does Doug Collins expand the base? 
Doug Collins, make no mistake about it, Doug Collins can probably turn up the bass more than anyone else. Doug Collins undoubtedly, in my mind, can mobilize Republicans. But here's the thing. Um, David Perdue sat down with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, sat down with Greg Bluestein, and he says uh, he implicitly trusts Brian Kemp to pick the nominee. He's got three criteria the two of them have discussed. One... This is, again, David Perdue saying he and Brian Kemp have agreed on three things that the Johnny Isaacson replacement must have. One is they got to be on our side. They got to support the president's agenda, including immigration, trade, and health care. The second thing is they've got to be able to communicate the message because Republicans don't have a great history of communicating. And the third is this. Georgia is a growing state, and the Republican Party needs to broaden with it. The Republican Party is a growing state and needs to broaden. You know, so I'm I'm starting to think I have a preferred candidate in the race. Um, there is in Georgia, um, Jason Anavitarte, and if I'm butchering Jason's name, Jason is a Paulding school board member, but he's more than that. He's a strong conservative, strong conservative. He's a young guy, and he's been on the, uh, he's worked for Brian Kemp. He's been on the, the, he was the chairman of the board of trustees for Chattahoochee Technical College, uh, and he has been part of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in Georgia. He's a good conservative. He's a friend of mine. I like the guy. Um, and I, if he were to apply, and I think he has applied, I think he would be a very interesting pick because he is conservative. He is very conservative. He is solidly pro-life, solidly a Republican. He knows how to communicate, and he would expand the base. There are more black voters in Georgia than there are Hispanic voters. And I got to tell you, the data consistently always shows the same thing. Um, black voters in Georgia may vote for, let, let's say you did uh, Herschel Walker. Now he actually lives in Texas, so I don't think it could be him. But Herschel Walker, let's, let's just say it was Her Herschel Walker, that he moved back to Georgia and said, I'll run. What you find is that uh, black voters in Georgia, they'd vote for Herschel Walker. They absolutely would. And then they'd go right back to voting Democrat for everyone else. Hispanic voters tend to vote in blocks and Democratic voters tend to vote in blocks and white voters tend to vote in blocks. And Hispanic voters right now are the key demographic in this country whose blocks shift around. Sometimes they vote Republican. Sometimes they vote Democrat. They're also growing. Hispanic voters are growing in Georgia more than black or white voters. So, yes, they're a smaller number, but it certainly pads the Republican margins long term. You find a Hispanic conservative who aligns with the president on immigration, who aligns with the Republican Party on life and conservative issues, who you know is going to go to the Senate and going to be a, a diehard conservative. You expand the cushion for Republicans in Georgia. Remember, we've run the numbers before. We don't need to go ad nauseum back into the numbers. But Republicans typically in a presidential year, they have about 125,000, 150,000-person cushion. If you get that to a 200,000-person cushion, you have a real hard time overcoming that if you're a Democrat. 
and Republicans need to be playing a long-term game. Again, let me read you this from, um, from David Perdue. This is what David Perdue says in the three criteria. Someone who supports the president's agenda, someone who can communicate, and we need to broaden the party. Georgia is a growing state. I think you broaden the party. A lot of people are saying we need a woman, we need a woman, we need a woman. You know, if married women still vote Republican. It's single women who are the problem. And as single women grow in Georgia, the Democrats get an advantage. You're not going to bring a bunch of single women into the Republican Party. And married women are already there. Bring Hispanic voters into the Republican. You know, Florida Republicans have done this. My goodness, have you not paid attention? Rick Scott and uh, Ron DeSantis, they would not be senator and governor but for Hispanic, non-Cuban Hispanics. And that's important because Cuban voters in Florida are Republican. They've always been Republican for historic reasons. Uh, Cubans vote Republican, but non-Cuban Hispanics in Florida don't. Non-Cuban Hispanics in Florida tend to be Democrat. And in 2018, they went overwhelmingly for Republicans. And in fact, you know, by the way, there's data out there that the non-Cuban Hispanic vote in Florida is now locked in uh, for Republicans. Uh, that The Puerto Rican voters who fled Puerto Rico, they're becoming Republicans largely because of Democratic corruption in Puerto Rico. There's interesting data. Florida may not be the swing state. A lot of people have always presumed it to be. But Georgia's becoming one. You lock in the Hispanic voters and you take Georgia off the table too. We need to think about these things. We do need to get into other national news out there. There is a lot of other national news out there. Uh, but before we do, before we do this story, that this is probably, this will make you aggravated. Um, this story comes from, is it Forbes? I saw that it came from Forbes. Yes. Forbes has a story about forest park, Georgia. Get this a preschool in for now forest park. Just so you know, uh, for those of you who avoid Atlanta, like the plague, like I do, uh, forest park is a suburb of Atlanta on the South side, the airport area. Forest Park is home of Little Ones Learning Center, a preschool that is part of the farm-to-school movement. Students at the school learn not only how to plant and care for a garden, they learn to appreciate nutritious food. Little Ones program has been widely praised. In 2015, Sandra Deal, the then First Lady of Georgia, visited the school to see the gardens and meet the little gardeners. To spread the benefits to the broader community, the school started operating a farm stand twice a month to sell the excess farm produce to the local community. Well, as you can imagine, a code enforcement officer has said it's a safety concern because it is in a residential zone. Cars would park near the stand. The city manager, Angela Redding, has said that this is a problem. If we were to change the ordinance, everyone in the community could set up a farm stand. We could have a farm stand on every corner. City officials said the school may only operate a stand if it's located on city property and is properly permitted. The stand sold about $150 worth of produce a day, meaning the $50 permit would significantly cut into the school's revenue. Also, there's no nearby city property defeating the point. Holy cow. This is crazy. They're shutting down. Uh, this is a school that has been praised, praised, praised 
by the former governor, his wife, by the current administration, this is crazy. This is like uh, down in, what was it? Um, oh, McIntosh County. They shut down a lemonade stand, a, a local government. I think it was in Darien, Georgia, shut down a lemonade stand operated by two kids during the summer because um, they weren't paying taxes. Yeah, I kid you not. Bureaucrats are the worst. Bureaucrats are the worst. And having this happen in Georgia, uh, you know, well, so I, I got a got an Atlanta show. I'm going to have to talk about this. All there's there's no reason to belabor the point. Um, uh, but yeah, you, this happens around the state of Georgia. We we all over Georgia experience little bureaucrats who are trying to to impose on people burdens of community uh, regulation. And here it is. And, and you know, at a time where people Green New Deal is in the conversation, global warming's in the conversation, all this, it's just, it's crazy. Speaking of, by the way, there is a massive, massive glacier breaking away from Antarctica. It is the size of the state of Delaware. It has been in the process of breaking away from Antarctica for 70 years and has finally broken away. And naturally, environmentalists are saying climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change caused this. It's climate change. It's all climate change. Actually, actually, the scientists who have been watching this glacier for 70 years, well, I mean, it, you've had several generations of scientists who have been studying this glacier breaking away from Antarctica, say climate change has absolutely nothing to do with this breakaway. Nothing. Even the New York Times is having to report that, no, in fact, climate change has nothing to do with this. It is a natural occurrence that has been in the making for 70 years. We're constantly seeing people hijack stuff like this to push an agenda. And, you know, this, this actually, I did read this story and it reminded me of all this impeachment stuff with the president. Every little thing is about whatever the core progressive talking point is. Like, for example, the president, we'll play this, I played this audio yesterday, it happened at the end of the show yesterday, I'm going to play it again, but the president stood on the White House lawn and encouraged China publicly on TV to investigate Hunter Biden. I have to tell you, I read that story, and my first reaction was, he's not actually doing this to get China to investigate. He actually wants the media to talk about Hunter Biden because the president has read a couple of articles and there have been a couple of articles out there. Fox has talked about it. No one else has that the Hunter Biden situation in China actually is a deeply corrupting story. It really highlights the corruption of the Biden family and the president would like some exposure for it. And that's why he did what he did. By the way, again, here's the troubling thing. This story all goes away. Impeachment changes if the Democrats get rid of Joe Biden, suddenly it makes everything look political. We do need to talk about impeachment when we come back. There is advancement on that front. The president is challenging Nancy Pelosi to go on and put up and shut up. I'll tell you what I know, what I've talked to people about when we come back. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia from the North Georgia mountains to the Florida line, the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic and across the world on Facebook Live right now. You can call in if you want to be a part of the program. 877-97-ERIC. That is 877-973-7425. 
I, I want to put the current conversations in American politics in perspective for you. I, I keep this audio on standby, uh, and I've, I haven't played it. We are now, this is, this is what, this is our 35th show, and I haven't played this audio for you guys, and I want to play it for you. This was done by Reason Magazine years ago, and I've kept it, because every once in a while, you, you get into... A situation where Americans think, man, things have gotten so nasty. Things have gotten so nasty. Um, we, we, we can't get any worse. This is the worst it's ever been. And in fact, we're actually in a period of American politics where things, if they're, if they're doing anything, they're reverting back to the norm. The 1800s in American politics was far nastier than anything you have ever experienced in American politics on the national stage. I want to play for you. The, what Reason Magazine did is they took the campaign statements of the Adams camp and the Jefferson camp in the 1800 election, including the actual words used by John Adams about Thomas Jefferson and the actual words used by Thomas Jefferson about John Adams, and they put them into advertisements. They actually turned them into advertisements, uh, campaign ads, as if they, they, these would, this is what would have been broadcast by these campaigns. Again, these are the actual words used by the Adams and Jefferson's cam Jefferson campaigns against each other in 1800 to give you a perspective of how civil our current American politics is. Here's the Je the Adams campaign words against Thomas Jefferson, including the actual statements made by John Adams about Thomas Jefferson. If Thomas Jefferson wins, murder, robbery, rape, adultery, and incest will be openly taught and practiced. The air will be rent with the cries of the distressed. The soil will be soaked with blood and the nation black with crimes. Are you prepared to see your dwellings in flames, female chastity violated, children writhing on a pike? I'm John Adams, and I approve this message because Jefferson is the son of a half-breed Indian squaw raised on hoe cakes, and Hamilton is a Creole bastard brat of a Scotch peddler. Th those were the actual words. You, you heard the, the I'm, I'm John Adams, and I approve. A after that, that's actually what John Adams said. Before that, that's what the newspapers who supported Adams said. Now, let, let's hear what Thomas Jefferson said about John Adams. John Adams is a blind, bald, crippled, toothless man who wants to start a war with France. While he's not busy importing mistresses from Europe, he's trying to marry WSB traffic. daughter of King George. Haven't we had enough monarchy in America? I'm Thomas Jefferson, and I approve this message because John Adams is a hideous, hermaphroditical character with neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Yeah, that that's let, let's listen to this one again since I pressed the wrong button and probably scared the bejesus out of half of you. John Adams is a blind, bald, crippled, toothless man who wants to start a war with France. While he's not busy importing mistresses from Europe, he's trying to marry one of his sons to a daughter of King George. Haven't we had enough monarchy in America? I'm Thomas Jefferson, and I approve this message because John Adams is a hideous, hermaphroditical character with neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Now, again, these are the actual things said about the candidates. So if anything, where we are in America is, is reverting back to that. 
uh, a, a deeply divided country, and, and we were a very deeply divided country in 1800, and, and there was an urban-rural divide uh, in, in that election. And here we are uh, as, as the president faces impeachment and, and the calls for impeachment grow. And yesterday, the president uh, gave them something else to talk about. Standing on the st- outside the White House, the president urging China to investigate the Bidens. I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Bidens. It's a very simple answer. Uh, they should investigate the Bidens because how does a company that's newly formed and all these companies, if you look at, and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened to China is just about as bad as what happened with uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens because nobody has any doubt that they weren't crooked. That was a crooked deal, 100%. He had no knowledge of energy, didn't know the first thing about it. All of a sudden, he's getting $50,000 a month, plus a lot of other things. Nobody has any doubt. And they got rid of a prosecutor who was a very tough prosecutor. They got rid of him. Now they're trying to make it the opposite way, but they got rid. So if I were the president, I would certainly recommend that of Ukraine. Yeah, uh, he would he would look at this. Uh, Here's the thing. Um, There are two ways to look at this. There's the way the media is looking at it, that this is the president trying to get China to pursue his political opponent and his political opponent's son. And that's a fair, reasonable interpretation. We'll get into the Volcker text messages here in a minute. That's becoming another big part of this. Um, But. There's the other way to look at it, and that is the president putting China on notice that one of its state-run entities entered into a very corrupt contract with someone to gain access to the Obama administration and that they're wasting their money. It's a legitimate interpretation. That's as legitimate as the other. We don't know. Now, Fox News is reporting that our our Ambassador Volcker, he was the, the envoy to Ukraine, that he had some concerns about the president withholding money. We've obtained uh, encrypted text messages that involve some of the key players on Ukraine, one of them being uh, Kurt Volker, who was at the time the U.S. Special Envoy to Ukraine, William Taylor, temporary ambassador for the U.S. in Ukraine, and Gordon Sondland, the United States ambassador to the European Union. The exchange started on September 9th when the intelligence community inspector general Michael Atkinson revealed the existence of a whistleblower related to Ukraine. These three created a secure text exchange, which shows Taylor expressing concern to his colleagues. Bill Taylor, as I said on the phone, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. Gordon Sondland, Bill, I believe you are incorrect about President Trump's intentions. The president has been crystal clear. No quid pro quos of any kind. The president's trying to evaluate whether Ukraine is truly going to adopt the transparency and reforms that President Zelensky promised during the campaign. I suggest we stop the back and forth by text. So then the discussion was taken offline, and lawmakers are likely learning more about this exchange right now with Volcker behind closed doors here on Capitol Hill. There's also a reference to concerns about an interview being given 
But the context of that is unclear. Bill Taylor, the nightmare is they give us the interview and don't get the security clearance. The Russians love it, and I quit. Counting on you to be right about this interview, Gordon. Gordon Sunland, Bill, I never said I was right. I said we are where we are and believe we have identified the best pathway forward. Let's hope it works. Fox News has reached out to all three players, Taylor, Sunland, and Volker. Volker still behind closed doors here on Capitol Hill. And we will update this breaking story should we get any more context or comment from them. Yeah. Um, this is going to play out very interestingly over time uh, as we continue to learn more about this. But, you know, there there really is still, as I said in the first hour, this division shaping up. Uh, and I think Republicans need to have a conversation with themselves about this. I wrote about this this morning, actually, over at The Resurgent. If you go to theresurgent.com, you can find it. And, and I, I think it is something that Republicans do need to wonder about and consider. And it, what would it take to get Republicans to impeach the president? What would they have to find? And, and you know, listen, I, there are friends of mine, friends, who they really would vote for the president if he murdered someone on Fifth Avenue because they hate the Democrats that much. They are genuinely committed to the idea that Democrats want to destroy their way of life. But what about people who haven't gotten there yet? What, what would it take? If Barack Obama had asked China or Ukraine to investigate a Republican rival, would you want him impeached? Now, there are people who believe that that's what the Steele dossier was about. It appears to have been a, a Clinton effort, but there are a lot of people who believe that the FBI was investigating Donald Trump uh, on the campaign trail, trying to see if, if the Russians were trying to help him get elected. And that's fair. But okay, let, let's say you believe that. Now, Donald Trump has expanded the precedent to actually calling world leaders and urging their cooperation to look into a campaign rival. And let's just say hypothetically, 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 let's just say he did withhold U.S. aid to Ukraine to pressure Ukraine to look at Joe Biden. Is, is that impeachable to you? Let's say, let's say he did it. I'm not, we're, we're, there's no evidence of it. Let's be clear. There's no evidence at all that the, well, actually there is some evidence now. We got the Volcker text. This is the president's envoy to Ukraine uh, or what not, not Volcker or one of the other guys who was involved in Ukraine suggesting that's what it was. That's the only evidence we have. We don't actually know. Let's just say it was it, it, the president, the, the, the Congress appropriated the money. They gave the president no discretion to withhold the money, and the president withheld the money anyway to pressure Ukraine. Is that impeachable to you? Is him taking the Article One power of the purse for himself, is that impeachable? What would it get you to impeach? Because you don't have to just worry about this president. You do have to worry about what the next president does. If the Democrats fundamentally believe that President Trump steered and withheld American dollars to pressure a foreign government to go after his political rival, and Republicans are all okay with it, what's to stop the Democrats from doing it too? 
And just as there are a lot of Republicans who think that uh, that President Obama did invest, he did use the power of the American government to investigate Donald Trump. Now, suddenly we've got a Republican president trying to use the powers of foreign governments to investigate a rival. So then what happens with the next? Where do you cut it off? Where do you stop the president? Can you stop the president? It's we don't have to have we don't have to come to a decision. There's no evidence. Again, there is no evidence right now that any of this happened. But if the evidence does start to show up. And the pattern seems to become a practice. Do you impeach or and do you go with Mike Pence or do you say, well, Donald Trump's the only thing protecting us from them? Do do you not think that there will be a lot of Americans in the middle who think "Hmm, this is deeply concerning? Maybe we should go with Mike Pence. But there's something else here, too. Now that I got Democrats who are listening, nodding along with me, let me ask the Democrats a question. You think this is a legitimate investigation and legitimate whistleblowing, um, but I want you to listen to this from Jake Tapper. We have two major breaking news stories for you right now. First, this from CNN, a source familiar with the whistleblower investigation tells me that the political bias referred to by the intelligence community inspector general is that the whistleblower is a registered Democrat. That is the bias, the IG Acknowledged the bias in his statement, though he said that it didn't change the facts of the whistleblower complaint. The attorney for the whistleblower, Mark Zaid, declined to give us a comment. So we've got the, the whistleblowers, a Democrat who went to Adam Schiff in advance, coordinated the release. We've got Democrats running interference for Adam Schiff on this. Uh, The Democrats don't want to admit there was coordination, even though it is abundantly obvious at this point, and the New York Times is reporting on a level of coordination. Uh, You and I both know that even though they're all denying the extent of it, you and I both know that there was coordination. We all know there was coordination. Listen, though, to MSNBC trying to push back on this this morning. This is uh, Ken Delanian, who is a MSNBC reporter who is constantly pushing Democratic talking points. He is constantly taking the Democratic position. Listen to this. Explain why the president's allies are seizing on that soundbite from Adam Schiff and what the congressman and the people around him are saying. Hallie, because it wasn't true. And Adam Schiff has acknowledged to Sam Stein, the questioner there, that that was a regrettable (laughs) lapse on his part because, in fact, his office, an aide to Schiff, did speak to the whistleblower. But it's also important to point out the sequence here, Hallie. And, in fact, there is no evidence that Adam Schiff orchestrated this complaint. Um, Here's what happened. This person, a CIA officer, had conveyed his complaints to the CIA general counsel through a colleague, but then became concerned because the CIA general counsel alerted the White House, and the whistleblower thought the complaint was being mishandled. So he went, as many intelligence officers do uh, almost routinely, he went to the Oversight Committee, the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff's office. How, how, How do we know that many officers routinely do this? How do we know? And, and, and described in vague terms, we're told, the nature of his complaint. And the staff they told them to, what they tell other people who come forward to them. Uh, go to the inspector general. You may want to hire a lawyer, but file a former complaint, formal complaint with the inspector general. Do you believe this? Because I, I don't believe it. I, I, I know enough how Washington works that I know not to believe this. And yet you've got the media peddling it with a straight face. They're, they're willing to believe the Democrats on this, and they're willing to jump to the worst possible conclusion on the president. 
So, so while I'm saying Republicans have some time but do need to think about what you would do, what would, what would it take to impeach the president, let me ask the Democrats, why should we reward partisans in the intelligence bureaucracy working with Democrats to bring down the president? Isn't that a dangerous thing to do? Do you want Republican partisans in the bureaucracy working to take down a Democratic president? Why should we reward the intelligence bureaucracy? See, there, there aren't easy answers. You want easy answers. You want to say, orange man, bad, impeach. But do you get to orange man, bad, impeach when it's clearly a coordinated operation by intelligence officials going to Democrats and drip, drip, dripping a bunch of information that taken together looks bad, but individually you examine them and say, this, this really isn't impeachable. Do you really want to do that? Because, you know, you're worried about the precedent of the president. What about the precedent of these bureaucrats? That that should trouble you, too. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to play this audio from Van Jones on CNN, who kind of captures the conundrum the Democrats are in. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you, it, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, the impeachment uh, process, because for some Republicans, it makes them want to rally around the flag. And I remember when I, when, uh, I was uh, anti-Bill Clinton from the left uh, in the 90s, and then they tried to impeach him, and suddenly Clinton was my best friend. You I became like, a devil. I, I, was, I, I was out there, hey, leave Bill Clinton alone. So I think, you know, uh, you get cross currents in this thing. At the same time, you know, Democrats are in a lose-lose situation. Democrats are in a lose-lose situation. You can see Republicans rally. In fact, you're seeing a massive influx of donations to the president's re-election campaign from Republicans. Now, there are some who, on the right, who don't like the president at all and have never liked the president, and they're not going to like the president, and they see this as just another example of uh, an excuse for Republicans to go away an excuse for Republicans to ditch the president. But then you have people like uh, Rashida Tlaib saying that the Democrats want to find ways to arrest Republicans. I, I want to I play that audio for you when we come back. And I want to I want to talk a little more about Adam Schiff when we come back. Uh, right now, let me actually, you know what? I got time. I, I, I misread the clock. Let, let me play this audio from Rashida Tlaib. So let me tell you, this is pretty, and this is, and this is the last caucus conversation we've had. Do you know this is really unprecedented? This is the first time we've ever had a situation like this. So they're trying to figure out, no joke, they're trying to figure out, well, is it the D.C. police that goes against them? No, no. Where do we hold them? I mean, this is the kind of, like, I'm not in those kinds of conversations, but I'm asking, like, you know, what, what happens? And they're like, well, Rashida, we're trying to figure it out ourselves because this is uncharted territory. I'm sorry, I know, but no, I'm telling you that they, they the, 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 they're trying to be like, well, where are we going to put them? Where are we going to hold? No, I mean, I mean, those are the kinds of things they're trying to tread carefully. I mean, this is, I, I ask, I'm like you all. I ask the same questions. Well, what happens when they don't comply? I mean, the fact of the matter is, I, we held Barr and uh, Secretary Ross from Commerce, the Secretary of Commerce, in contempt. Well, what happens if they don't continue to not comply? And everybody's looking at each other. We're like, we haven't had this ever happen before. So I just want you to know I will relay your message. I will tell them they can hold off those people right here in Detroit. We'll 
There you go. We'll we'll just round up all the Republicans and and throw away the key. We'll we'll round them up and throw them in jail. Yeah, I don't think this is going to work so well for a lot of people to hear this from a Democratic member of Congress. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I have got to go back to something I talked about in the first hour uh, to get to. Uh, essentially, I want to go full circle. Uh, and to begin with, I want to play you this audio from Summer, CNN. But still, the unemployment rate, the lowest since uh, December 1969. So more people are working. People are coming off the sidelines and looking for jobs. 1969, 1969, the unemployment rate is the lowest it's been since 1969. Since, since what? Since Richard Nixon got elected. How do you impeach the president when we have the best unemployment since... Uh, and I'm sorry, yeah, since 1969. And for women, it is the best employment rate since 1953. But wait, there's more. There is more. Bridges, the unemployment by race, historic uh, Hispanic unemployment fell to 3.9%. That's a survey low. Black unemployment at 5.5%, also a survey low, but unchanged. And the labor force participation rate at 63.2%, also unchanged. And of course... There you go. Uh, the labor force participation rate, all, all of this. If you look at the map of the United States. Oh, Lord, there's Hillary Clinton. Sorry. Uh, Auto-loaded from the, the RNC's YouTube page. Y'all, it is, it's an interesting situation here where you've got the president's re-elect numbers right now are the best they've been since he was president. The president's job approval rating is the best it's been since he's been president. The economic numbers are the best they've been since he's been president. And the Democrats look at all this and say, hey, now's the time to impeach the president. Uh, I'm not sure that works. On top of that, you've got Adam Schiff as the face of impeachment who said he had not talked to the whistleblower, and then his staff admitted they had talked to the whistleblower, and now he's got, well... Ask him directly that question. Your response to the Republican contention that essentially this is undercutting your investigation, he would not comment about that, but instead he took a he criticized the president directly about the president's comments on the South Lawn of the White House. I'm not going to comment at all uh, until after the hearing, um, except to say that I think the president's once again inviting foreign interference in our election is repugnant uh, and a violation of his oath of office. It endangers our elections uh, and it endangers our security. Yeah, okay. Uh, Adam Schiff coordinated with the whistleblower, who is a Democrat. And then we had a series of leaks. What, what were the leaks? What, what were the leaks? The leaks were that he asked Australia to look back at 2016. How's that a big deal? The leak was that the president talked to President Xi of China and said he wouldn't make any noise about Hong Kong as long as the trade negotiations were proceeding. I don't like it, but is that impeachable? He also raised that, that did China know that they had, did the Chinese president know that one of its subsidiary companies gave a big sweetheart deal to Hunter Biden, trying to buy influence with Obama's office? Uh, is that really a big deal? 
Meanwhile, you've got William Barr and Mike Pompeo going to Italy to listen to audio from someone who swears they know how the Steele dossier began in 2016 and that it's tied to the Democrats. And you've got the media losing their minds about this. Have you noticed there's an orchestrated campaign in the press to undermine the credibility of both William Barr and Mike Pompeo? Have you noticed that? Now, listen, I I, I don't like conspiracy theories. I, I think conspiracy theories are harmful to the truth. Sometimes, though, what we're told that our, our conspiracy theories aren't. There does seem to be a there there. You, you do have to acknowledge, you do have to admit there does seem to be a there there. That the media seems really, really desperate to destroy the credibility of William Barr and Mike Pompeo for merely trying to investigate how did the Steele dossier originate. There is enough data out there. There is. There is enough data out there to suspect that Fusion GPS, the left-wing group, that, by the way, the Fusion GPS, the media doesn't want to pay attention to this. I've reported on this. The Fusion GPS group that is a Democratic opposition research firm, they actually did work with Natalia Vizelnitskaya. Remember her? She's the one who actually did go meet with the Trump family in Trump Tower. Turns out there was no there there with the meeting. She went in claiming to want to talk about uh, the the oh the Magnitsky Act, which uh, involves uh, Russian trade and, and adoptions in Russia, and claimed she had dirt on Hillary Clinton. There was no there there. The, the Mueller report proves that. Why did she go to them? And is it not curious she had ties to a Democratic opposition research firm? The president wants answers on this. This isn't conspiracy theory. That actually is fact. The president believes, see, and this is the thing, this is the thing the media doesn't want to appreciate. They can't appreciate it because the media denies it. Rightly or wrongly, conspiracy theory or not, the president of the United States of America believes the media and the Democrats coordinated with foreign entities to try to destroy him in 2016. The president of the United States believes that the Steele dossier came from foreign intelligence and was designed to embarrass him. Remember, the P-tape, the P-tape is real. But we know from the Mueller investigation, the P-tape, while real, is a fraud. It was designed to look like President Trump in a Russian hotel room with prostitutes doing acts we won't discuss on radio. And it turns out, yeah, the tape is real. The tape was filmed, but it wasn't Donald Trump. It was designed for blackmail and and became part of the salacious Christopher Steele dossier. Who pushed the dossier? Who put up the money? Where did all of this come from? And was it the Democrats trying to work with foreigners to undermine Donald Trump? Whether you think it's a conspiracy theory or not, and I kind of do, the president's convinced it's true, and he wants answers. And so he sent William Barr out to get answers. And so what is the media doing? The media is trying to discredit William Barr. And that, to me, just is a big red flag that maybe there is a there there. Maybe there is something going on. Maybe there is. I mean, listen to John Brennan. John Brennan, uh, super hyper-partisan, 
uh, was on TV. He worked for Obama. He was Obama's DNR, DNI or CIA director or what have you. Uh, listen to John Brennan. I remember William Barr, you know, when he was testifying in front of Congress, he said he, he didn't understand the predication of the counterintelligence investigation that was launched into Russia's interference in 2016 election. I don't understand the predication of this worldwide effort to try to uncover dirt, either real or imagined, that would discredit that investigation in 2016 into, into Russian interference. You know, on one hand, the Obama administration is crucified for not doing enough. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking for what we might have done in order to try to understand better and to prevent the Russian interference. And I do agree, it's not just that Trump doesn't care about Russian interference. I think he is hoping that he's going to get it because I, he knows that Russia interfered on his behalf. And I think as he sees his political fortunes dwindling, I think he really is hoping that his pal Vladimir is going to come through once again and help him get elected in 2020 if he's going to be in office by then. You know, William or John Brennan is one of the people that Republicans believe were behind this push to discredit the president in 2016. And for him to be attacking Barr, just wow. Okay. Now, uh, I got to go to the president because the president is on the uh, south lawn of the White House. And he is talking about the Ukraine matter and Joe Biden uh, and corruption. Listen to this. Well, we'll be issuing a letter. Uh, as everybody knows, we've been treated very unfairly, very different from anybody else. If you go over, uh, not only history. I mean, you go over any aspect of life, you'll see how unfairly we've been treated. We've done a fantastic job. Uh, everything to me is about corruption. We want to find out what happened with 2016. And as you know, there's a lot of work going on in that. Uh, I don't care about Biden's campaign, but I do care about corruption. His campaign, that's up to him. Politics, that's up to them. I don't care about politics. Politics, as I think I made clear, and yesterday somebody asked me a question and I gave an answer, but always in the form of corruption. What I want to do, and I think I have an obligation to do it, probably a duty to do it, corruption. We are looking for corruption. When you look at what Biden and his son did and when you look at other people, what they've done. And I believe there was tremendous corruption with Biden, but I think there was beyond, I mean, beyond corruption having to do with the 2016 campaign. And what these lowlights did to so many people, to hurt so many people in the Trump campaign, which was successful despite all of the fighting us. I mean, despite all of the unfairness. So we are looking at corruption. We're not looking at uh, politics. We're looking at corruption. What do you think the Chinese about the Biden, sir? I don't know. Somebody said that a long time ago. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure where the last bit, but 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 wait 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 we we got to play this other. This also happened. Uh, this also on the South Lawn of the White House just a few moments ago. We're investigating corruption. We're not investigating campaigns. I don't care about his campaign. As I said, I didn't think I didn't think, and I don't think Biden's going to win. All right, I don't think. And maybe to answer your question, when you say who is going to win, I'd rather not make a prediction, but I do have a feeling about somebody. But I didn't think, because I've watched Biden over the years, and Biden is not the brightest person. I never thought he was going to win. I never felt he was going to win. If you look at his other two campaigns, he was a one percenter. He got very few votes. 
He got taken off of the garbage heap by Obama. Obama took him off the garbage heap. So it's one of those things. But I never thought that Biden, I didn't think Biden was going to win. I, I guess everybody has a shot. But I don't think he would be, frankly, my toughest opponent here. And just to finish off, just to finish off, I don't think that he will win. I didn't think he was going to win, and I don't think he's going to win. All right. So this is, a, this is actually a good track and strategy for the president. Uh, if you say Biden's not going to be the nominee, not going to be the nominee, doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, he just wants to investigate corruption. He has an argument, whether you agree with it or not, the president has an argument he can articulate that it seems clear that Hunter Biden tried to ingratiate himself with foreign governments to profit on his father's name. And the Obama team in 2016 was so busy trying to paint the Trump team as corrupt and destroying the reputations of people that they failed to look at this corruption. And the president has an obligation as the chief law enforcement officer to try to find out what actually happened. Was the American government abused to profit certain people. Now, the Democrats will turn that around and say, what about your kids? What about your kids? Well, if the president thinks his kids haven't done anything wrong, he can pursue it. The other thing here, though, that the president can use to articulate a defense is that he can't trust the intelligence community. You've got a registered Democrat in the intelligence community giving advance notice to Adam Schiff that he was going to file a complaint. And what is his complaint about? He doesn't like that the president is pursuing an investigation looking into past government corruption. Now, you can say this is crazy. You can say this is nonsense. You can say, of course, the president's looking at Joe Biden for politics. But the president needs to articulate a defense, and it needs to be consistent. And there is a consistent defense for the president. He's looking at past corruption. He's looking at 2016. He thinks that the Obama administration was so distracted using foreign entities, by the way, foreign entities, including an Australian envoy, to try to go after his campaign. The president wants to see what were their people getting enriched on the U.S. government. Do we need to make changes to law? Listen, y'all, do I think the president was probably looking at Joe Biden for 2020? Yeah, I kind of do. And I kind of think that if the president was using the American government to do that, it's probably impeachable. But I don't have any evidence. You don't have any evidence. We got some text messages that are starting to look a little damning to the president. If the drip, drip, drip of those text messages come along, then, yeah, we may have a problem. But thus far, we don't have a problem yet. We've only got speculation. That's all we have is speculation. And as long as all we have is speculation, we really don't have anything. And that's what you got to keep in mind here. You know, um, who is it? Will Hurd on, I'm, I'm trying to find the clip. This happened just a short time ago. Will Hurd is the uh, Democrat, or I'm sorry, he is the Republican, Will Hurd is, and he, he, here he is, um, 
who is a little bit concerned. Let me play you some of this from CNN with Will Hurd on, on what he's concerned with, with the president and uh, the various investigations. Bring in now Republican Congressman Will Hurd. He's a member of the House Intelligence Committee. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Have you had a chance to read these text messages yet? I, I haven't. The first time I've seen them or heard of them was, was you just reading them. Um, but these are the, this is part of the reason why I think we should be having uh, these hearings in the Intelligence uh, Committee. I, I believe the whistleblower, these were allegations, I think we got to be clear of that, but these were serious enough that warrants some of this, um, the hearings that we've, we've been having. So you, this is a Republican on the Intelligence Committee. And by the way, he's one of the ones who doesn't like the president. He won re-election by 200 votes and is out. He's not going to run again, doesn't want to run again. He could be one of the Republicans who flips on the president. The president's got to be careful here in how he does this. I think saying he's focused on corruption is the way forward for the president, but he's got to be really careful how he does it because there are going to be a lot of people who don't believe it. Why look at it? Is it not curious that he didn't do this? And this is a red flag that the Republicans need to steer clear of here. They need to figure out a way around it. They need to figure out a response. The president did not begin looking at Joe Biden's son until Joe Biden became the Democratic frontrunner. Until Joe Biden formally got into the race, he didn't start looking at Hunter Biden. Why, If he was so concerned about this corruption, why did he wait until Joe Biden got into the race? No, there are arguments he can make. He thought uh, the whole Biden family was going to go away, but... Now that it looks like Joe Biden doesn't want to go away, we need to be worried about his son and, and his family enriching themselves off the American taxpayer. This is about protecting the taxpayer. This is about protecting other governments, making sure they're not wasting their money on a corrupt enterprise. By the way, do you know that, that Hunter Biden went into business with, with who? With John Kerry's son. Yeah, yes. Yes, it was it was a Kerry. Well, it was his son, I think. Um, who went into this with Hunter Biden. The president has arguments around this. The problem is that the president's got to actually put some thought into the responses here, and he's very good on his feet, but that also trips him up. But there's also something else here. The president, we got great employment numbers. The president actually has good reelect numbers right now. He's got good job approval numbers right now. Maybe he is hoping the Democrats push impeachment so that he can rally his base even further. After all, he's telling Nancy Pelosi, put up or shut up on this, actually get to formal impeachment or give it a rest. And she's not taking the bait. She may have to at some point because, you know, it is kind of interesting. Democrats said there were concentration camps a month ago. And now suddenly they're not concerned about that anymore. They say they're concerned about this and they're not actually even willing to go into an impeachment process. He's got an argument here to call their bluff if he'll do it. The president, he is still speaking at the White House to reporters. Let's get some of that. Do you think it'll pass the House, sir? Do you think it'll pass the House and die in the Senate? Well, I think this. I think this. We have great, um, we have a great relationship in the Senate. I have a 95% approval rating of the Republican Party. I believe the Senate, and I haven't spoken to that many senators, but I believe the senators look at this as a hoax, it's a witch hunt, it's a disgrace. Should have never happened, just like Russia collusion delusion should have never happened, that was a witch hunt. And just like that, should have never happened. So I think in the Senate, I think they uh, feel that w the Republican Party has been treated very, very badly. 
Now, in the House, they have the majority. They all vote with AOC and, and plus three. Nancy Pelosi's petrified of them. I mean, she's afraid she's going to lose her position. Nancy Pelosi will lose her speakership right after the election when the Republicans take over the House. Well, he said that, and there's a little bit of this about Elizabeth Warren. What do you think about facing Elizabeth Warren? It's fine. I mean, it's fine. She's a socialist and maybe worse than that. Uh, but we'll see. I, I heard, I haven't seen his poll numbers. I haven't seen Biden's poll numbers. Look, Joe Biden was never going to make it. All right? He was never going to make it. He tried it twice. He's at 1%. There's a reason. When I announced... I went to number one day one, and I stayed there the entire primary season. I never, I never was off center stage. I was never given credit for that, but that's okay, except by Steve. The only one that gave me credit was Steve. Who? Yeah, he's. I think he's seeing the writing on the wall. He's paying attention to the polling about Elizabeth Warren. He definitely thinks that Elizabeth Warren is going to become the nominee. You know, he said he wants to circle back to the 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 Focahana stuff, and I, I think he'll be able to. You know, even Democrats now are starting to drop oppo research where Elizabeth Warren actually used that to advance her story. They've uncovered some video where she claimed uh, that she was denied a job because of it. Uh, and now it turns out it's none of it is true anyway. Um, he's going to circle back to that. But, you know, honestly, getting rid of Biden as the nominee, it, it helps the Democrats go after Trump more, but it also helps the president. So I guess we'll keep muddy water over the weekend. You guys have a great weekend. I will talk to you on Monday.